Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Karen. I was hoping someone would say amen after the song. <laughs> Let's take a moment in silence and you share with the Lord your desire to be sensitive to interaction with God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for John the Baptist, who also went before Christ. And as we consider a portion of your word this morning, it's our desire to be doers of your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I have some vinegar here in the container. And if you add a little baking soda, you get some reaction there. Remember the first time I did that, I put too much vinegar in, a little too much baking soda, and came out over things. Now, in relation to baking soda and vinegar, what takes place when believers are in a world system that lets God out? In a sense, you place believers in a world system that lets God out, and that creates some... Reaction. Does news about people, events travel fast today? Does news about events and people travel fast today? Did it in Jesus' time? Is the death of a godly man at the hands of a bitter woman a waste? By whose standard? Take our Bibles and turn to Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. <clears throat> Mark chapter 6. And we'll begin reading with verse 14. Mark chapter 6 and verse 14. Mark 6 and verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared, feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a great banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. 
The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. And once a girl hurried into the king with a request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought, him, brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Now, as we read this passage, I think it's important to notice that in verse 12 of Mark 6, the text says they went out, that is, the 12 who were sent by Jesus, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. In chapter 6, 6b through 13, Jesus sends out the 12. Then in verses 14 through 29, we have John the Baptist being beheaded, or the account of John the Baptist being beheaded recorded for us. And then in verse 30, the 12 report to Jesus. I don't know if it crosses your mind, but he sends them out. John the Baptist is beheaded, and then the 12 report to Jesus. Why? Why the account of John the Baptist between the sending out and their reporting? In John 1 and verse 14, we find that John the Baptist is mentioned as going to prison. And that is in the context with the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. So I pose a question. What does John's death mean for discipleship and mission with Jesus? Why is the structure significant? What impact would it have on the Roman believers? I think the Roman believers and believers today should expect persecution and difficulty as they live in this world. See, John the Baptist began his ministry, or I mean, ended his ministry in the sense that he's placed in the prison with the beginning of Jesus' ministry. There's a parallel between John the Baptist and Jesus. Here Jesus sends out the 12, and before they report to him, the account of the death of John the Baptist is recorded again, seems to be a parallel between John and Jesus. There are only two passages in Mark that are not about Jesus. Both are about John, and both foreshadow Jesus. In the first, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, John, the Baptist, is the forerunner of Jesus and his message.
The second, in John 6, 14 through 29, what we're looking at today, is the forerunner of Jesus and his death. The parallels between the two, the death of Jesus and the death of John, are very clear. Both were executed by political tyrants who had fear and vacillated and finally gave in to social pressure. Both die, die silently as victims of intrigue and corruption. Both die as righteous and innocent victims. John was the forerunner of Jesus. What should be expected for Jesus? Death. What should be expected for the twelve? Difficulty as they live in the world. What should be expected as we live in the world today? Probably some difficulties at times along the way. Now John, the Baptist, was a miracle child, not in the sense that he was born of a virgin, but because he was born to the aged priest, Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, long after it was biological feasible for them to have children. Their son was a Nazarite from birth, due to the explicit orders of the angel Gabriel. As such, his hair was never cut. He never touched a dead body or drank fermented drink. John, from childhood, was uniquely alive to God. And as he grew up, he took up the garb of an ancient prophet wearing a rough coat of camel's hair and a leather belt, living in the wilderness on a diet of grasshoppers and wild honey. John came on the scene. He was a very strong spokesman for the Lord. You know, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? R. Kent Hughes says, in describing John the Baptist, straight shooting John the Baptist, let them both have it. Proclaiming as verse 18 records, that is, both Herod and Herodias, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. How could he be so narrow-minded? The liberated royal couple probably thought. So for very personal reasons, Herodias nursed a grudge against John. For obvious political reasons, Herod arrested John and threw him into the dungeon in the desert fortress near the Dead Sea. This fortress was in southeast Palestine with thick walls flanked by 160-foot cubit-high towers. Within, Herod had constructed a magnificent palace, and below were dungeons, which can still be seen today with their iron hooks, to which John must have been bound. A more desolate, formidable place is difficult to imagine. Hughes goes on, Here John the Baptist and Herod Antipodes meet in perfect opposites. John was rigorous and simple. Herod was flamboyant and ordinate. John was righteous. Herod was evil. John was a man of immense moral courage. Herod was a man who lived in spineless relativity. John was a man who kept his conscious conscience and lost his head. Herod was a man, John, who took John's head and lost his conscience. End of quote. Now, as we think about this passage, 
Herod, King Herod, or Herod the Great, as we study history, had ten wives. Four of his sons began to rule after he passed away. So we have the father, Herod the Great, with ten wives. And Antipas, or Herod Antipas, the fellow referred to in Mark chapter 6, was one of the sons. Philip was another son. Aristobulus was another one. Aristobulus had a daughter by the name of Herodias. Philip married his niece, Herodias. We also know as you study history that Herod the Great had his son Aristobulus killed because Herod the Great was a very evil man, as was his son Herod Antipanes. Antipas, I mean. So what happens, we know that Antipas wanted Herodias. So he got Herodias. You know, he had his brother Philip's wife. He actually married his niece. So two brothers, half-brothers, ended up marrying the same woman. And that is part of the background, the context for what is happening in this passage. And we need to understand Herod, mentioned in this passage, was a ruthless man like his father. He was shrewd. He was pitiless. He was a lover of luxury. And he loved architecture. And he built two cities in Galilee. So as we come to this passage, Herod heard about this. What did Herod hear about? Apparently he heard about what the disciples had been doing, healing, preaching, demons being cast out, anointing with people, healing. Apparently heard with, about what Jesus had also been doing. When Herod heard about this, what happens? Well, some people were saying he's John the Baptist. That is, Jesus is John the Baptist. Others said he's Elijah. And others said he's a prophet. Now, why would they even think Jesus was a prophet? Because he had the characteristics of a prophet. He taught with authority. He quieted and cast out an evil spirit. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed various diseases. He drove out demons. He healed a man with leprosy. He healed a paralyzed man. He calmed a storm. He healed a demon-possessed man. And he raised a girl from the dead and healed a sick woman. So, depends who you ask. No, Jesus is John the Baptist, raised from the dead. No, he's Elijah. No, he's a prophet. But Herod, we find, says... John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. So Herod's thinking is, you know, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And then it goes on to describe what happened. You know, why John the Baptist was killed. So Herod was the one who was given or had given orders to have John arrested and have him bound and put into prison. 
And if you read Josephus, you will find that Herod, for political reasons, had to do something with John the Baptist because he was creating some political problems for the Herodians. So he'd have him arrested, put into prison. He was fearful. And again, we see that John the Baptist is basically a pawn in someone else's hands. So he's in prison. And he did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. So we find John speaking to some leaders here. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And what does she do? She nurses a grudge. No, she nurses a grudge. She feeds it. And apparently she's a patient person because she doesn't act on it right away. She nurses a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, apparently, he would listen to John sometimes. He was greatly puzzled. But yet, he liked to listen to him. Herodias is a prime mover in this story. In contrast to her husband Herod, who is short-sighted and impetuous, Herodias nurses her bitterness against John with shrewd and calculating patience, entirely willing to sacrifice even the honor of her daughter to achieve her design. T.W. Manson says, Herodias felt that the only place where her marriage certificate would safely be written was on the back of the death warrant of John the Baptist, end of quote. Herodias' daughter, Salome, is merely an extension of her will, a compliant pawn in the game of power. Salome, young and talented, is willing to sell her services to the highest bidder without regard for the consequences. So what happens? Finally, time has passed. The opportune time came. Herod gives a great banquet for his high officials and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. R. Kent Hughes says, and I quote, Stag birthday parties were common to the Herodians and Herodias knew what to expect, a drinking crowd which would become increasingly sensual and nasty as the evening progressed, and increasingly demanding of male entertainment. From what we can tell, the evening was well along and the crowd was sufficiently under the influence when she, Herodias, made her teenage daughter, or made her move using her teenage daughter, Salome. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. Normally, this dance would have been done by the professional court dancers and prostitutes. 
but Herodias put forth her daughter. Her sensuous dance, unheard of among women of rank, was outrageous. Young Salome pleased Herod and his guest. This was a treat indeed. End of quote. So what does the king do? Since he was pleased, ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, and kings many times would say, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. So apparently, King Herod is having his birthday party. He sends then an executioner down into the dungeons beneath where the party was going on. For what purpose? The head of John the Baptist. The king asks, at once a girl now goes to her mother, and then she goes back to King Herod, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king's distressed, but he made an oath in front of his dinner guest. So immediately an executioner is sent, and John's head is brought on a platter. How would you like to be John the Baptist? Do you ever stop to ponder what is taking place in this account? Herod the Great had been king. Ten wives, <clears throat> four of his sons begin to rule. He kills one of his sons. Another of his sons marries his niece. And then another of his sons steals that wife. You want to call it that from another and this niece of Herod, the granddaughter of Herod the Great, nurses a bitter grudge to make sure John's head is on a platter. What is the point of this passage? I think it shows the great impact of the ministry of Jesus due to the way prepared by John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. John the Baptist in this passage dies. Also, it identifies Jesus with John the Baptist, thus anticipates the suffering of Jesus, along with, his, along with his death. The Roman believers and believers today should expect difficulty in this world. If the vinegar is the world, you put soda, baking soda, or believers in the world, it's going to create difficulty at times because... Worldviews are in conflict with one another. 
The Roman believers at this point in time, when they would have got the letter that Mark is writing, were going through difficulty and persecution. A tremendous encouragement. Well, John the Baptist died. Christ is going to die. So we can anticipate some difficulty also. Their Lord and their Savior went through difficulty. We can expect the same. John the Baptist died. We can expect the same. Do you ever stop to ponder that obedience to Christ, obedience for Christ to his Father, obedience for John the Baptist brought hardship, rejection, and death. You know, sometimes today we tell people, God has a wonderful plan for your life. We can include hardship and persecution and death in that. Then tell them God has a wonderful plan. God does have a wonderful plan in the sense that we can relate to the creator of the universe. Christ becomes our life. But that wonderful plan might involve some persecution, difficulty, and so on. See, the 12 were sent out before they reported the account of John the Baptist is included. Now, an application, and then we'll wrap it up. Just as news in Jesus' day spread, news today spreads. So expect news of genuine working by Christ in our community today, today to be heard. As you consider the overall thrust of the epistles, you will find that the genuine working will not be healing and casting out demons and miracles, miracles and so on, but some other items. But it will be heard. We say news, bad news travels fast. Good news also travels very fast. What good news would travel today? Delightful renewing of the minds. Romans 12. Delightful obedience to the government. Romans 13. Kindness expressed to the enemy, to our enemies. Romans 12. Acceptance of one another as believers. A genuine rejoicing in trials. Discipline of sin in a local church. Resolving struggles among believers. Genuine love among believers. Genuine relationships as described in Ephesians chapter 4. Godly marriages or marriages moving towards godliness. Father, teaching, training children, and children obeying parents. Employees working hard as unto God. Employers treating employees well. Believers leading quiet and gentle lives. Minding their own business, working with their own hands. Believers submitting to and following church leadership. Believers content with the basic necessities of daily life. Believers whose tongues are tamed. Believers displaying heavenly wisdom. Care of widows and those in need. Not necessarily depending upon the government. The news of what happened with the twelve, what Jesus did, what the twelve are doing, spread. As we today live godly in Christ, news will also spread.
but it will be about our lives and how God is transforming us as we live in a world that may bring with it some difficulty. Now, please notice what I did not say would make an impact. Music styles which people like, whether it's contemporary or traditional, or whatever. Services which people like, programs for all ages, ministries to many people. The reason I didn't mention the above items as genuine working of Christ is simple. They're not mentioned in Scripture as being evidence of being a genuine follower or genuine working by Christ. But yet, the above items many times is what we may focus upon. But it's Christ and Christ alone that transforms us and changes us. And that's what draws people to Christ. Is our church, is your family, is your marriage, is your life like the baking soda being placed into vinegar? It creates some action at times, a reaction, because you're following Christ. Are people in our community, our valley, hearing about transforming lives? Do you expect rejection and persecution due to walking with Christ? Let's pray together.